Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today we are reviewing Keep Going by Austin Cleon. 10 ways to stay creative in good times and bad. So he did uh, Steal Like an Artist by Austin Cleon uh, about six months ago. He's also got another book called Show Your Work. And this is his newest book that came out this year, Keep Going. Yeah, they're very interesting books. They're kind of like half art, half book. Shout out to Oliver Wood, um, who was listening to the podcast when we reviewed uh, Steel Like an Artist, and he, he had his, has his book club with his bunch of architects who he works with, and he said, oh, yeah, let's get this one, and he was expecting a full, intelligent, thick book to make him look smart, but <laughs> it made him look like a bit of an idiot, because when it came through, it was like a little picture book <laughs> for their book club, so it's sorry a, about that, mate. It's a very different type of book, that's for sure. Uh, I find them an, an enjoyable read. Yeah. Uh, Still Like an Artist was all about how you can inject more creativity into uh, what you do, whether you're an artist or anybody to inject more art. And then Keep Going is all about obviously when uh, you feel like stopping, then keep going Yeah, because <laughs> it can be tough to you know, be a creative person or pretty much in any work, there are times when you want to you give up. So, this is all about a few ways you can uh, inject a little bit of keep going into what you do. He kicks it off with a quote by Big Willie. Nelson, I, th- <laughs> I think I need to. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. I think I need to keep. Cre- I think I need to keep being creative, not to prove anything, but because it makes me happy to do it. I think trying to be creative, keeping busy, has a lot to do with keeping you alive. Mm. And I think that I think there is a, a lot of that, especially for such a creative person like the Big Willie. That uh, creativity really does add to your life. Mm. So yeah, so it is important to. Not just uh, do the mundane, but to inject some creativity and, and to keep going. So, it's 10 ways slash 10 tips. The first one he talks about is every day is Groundhog Day. Yeah. So, like the, uh, like the movie Groundhog Day, you wake up and every day there's work to be done. It really never ends in that there's no end point um, for work really, especially for an artist or a creative person. There's no point in time where, where you're finished. You never really arrive. So, he says... Rather than like uh, Odysseus, where it's this big conquest and you come back with the with the pot of the metaphorical pot of gold, he says it's really more like Sisyphus, where you roll the boulder up the hill every single day. Mm, yeah, as you think about Grant, what Groundhog Day was all about, it was about a bloke called Phil Connors, who was a weatherman, gets stuck in a loop every single day, and he wakes up no matter what. It's Feb- February the second. And whatever he does, he can't get to February 3. So, every day it's the exact same and he had to do it over again. And so, it's a lot more boring and mundane and less sexy the, the way of uh, big Phil Connors, but that's actually what it's like for the artist. Yeah, he says that most life, especially if you're doing projects, uh, it's not linear. You don't go from point A to point B. Really, it's more like a loop in that you start a project you finish the project and then the next thing to do is you've got to start your next project. So, it's really a, a continuous loop of starting and finishing and then starting again. Yeah, you never really arrive anywhere. It's, all, it's always just about the journey that you're on more, more so than the actual destination in being the artist. There are a lot of great quotes in this book. Uh, a lot of them not by people that I necessarily have heard of before though. We never know any... <laughs> no one ever knows the name of the quote. They just pull them out of thin air. One is uh, by Ian Sfanonius. <laughs> and, and he says that even after you've achieved greatness... I'm going to Google him. What was his name? Ian Sfanonius. S. S-V-E-N-O-N-I-U-S. Even after you've achieved greatness, the infinitesimally small cager of people who notice will ask, what next? 
Mm. Who is he? He's a he's a he's a bit he's on YouTube from 2018. He doesn't have too many views. I think <laughs> sings a song called Escapism. I'm a lover. Oh, yeah. So just a bloke from the pub, basically <laughs> <laughs> nothing special about Ian. But as you said, that you know, infinitesimally small number of people will ever even notice that you've achieved this this um, micro greatness. And even to those who do, they're mostly just going to say, "What next?" In that there is no end point. In that it's just the next project becomes the the next most important thing to do. So Cleon says that truly prolific artists they figure this out. And their way of getting around it and constantly waking up every day to more and more work is to create a daily practice. That's it because every time that as an artist, you're always going to be subject to some kind of procrastination. So setting up that daily practice, meaning you've got the small, repeatable, kind of predictable way that is going to make you do the, the certain actions that you've actually already decided are the most important actions for you to actually get the job done. Yeah, and importantly, this daily practice a way of doing things every day, it insulates us from both success and from failure. Like the world, there's a lot of chaos out there. If we be successful and rest on our laurels, that's not good for creativity. If we're deeply affected by a failure, obviously that's not good for the next project. So we need to insulate ourselves by just sticking to this daily practice no matter what happens. If your previous project was great, then onto the next one. If your previous project was shit, then onto the next one. Interestingly enough, in doing the daily practice, a bit of imprisonment, he says, can actually set you free and be really good. And he actually says something like prison is actually really good for the artist because <laughs> in prison, what you do, you're locked into a room, you get up every day, you got the same exact same routine, you drink coffee at the same time, you read, you make calls, you write, you have dinner, doing push-ups. And in between, you're always sitting there and you got that chance to practice your art, whatever it may be. And he says even further than that, if you even if you're in Alcatraz, you get an incredible view mm. as well. So I mean if you're a struggling artist, maybe <laughs> well, maybe get, you know, go to prison. <laughs> mate, that's one um that's extrapolating the advice a little bit, but mate, potentially that could that could be the way to set up a, a daily routine. <laughs> so but so he said it is imp- important to set up this uh, daily routine, and there are you know a lot of um, uh, podcasts out there that I used to love that that focus a lot on the the daily routines <laughs> and uh, the morning routines and everything you do. But basically, uh, there's no one size fits all daily routine. You can't just copy um, Tim Ferriss's daily routine and expect the same sort of results because everybody's got different obligations, everybody's got different idiosyncrasies, neuroses, and different superstitions, and just different ways of working and different obligations with their time. So you can't just copy someone else's daily routine. You need to craft your own. You need to observe what your moods are every single day. Are you a night owl or are you a early riser? Um, so just understanding who you are and what gets you going is really important when you're setting up your own daily routine. He mentions in the book how a bloke called Mason Curry interviewed a whole do bunch. You, do you know that bloke? I don't, I don't know Mason either. <laughs> but anyway, Mason apparently, he uh, interviewed a whole bunch of successful people and uh, in each case, out of the whole hundred, there wasn't one successful, consistent routine that they all had. They were all completely different. Yeah, so that's it. So the first piece of advice for getting started and doing a little bit of work every day is to set up a daily practice that works for you. Don't just copy someone else's. Work out what routine works best for you and stick to it. Another thing that he says is important in this idea of you know just getting work done 
is to make lists because sometimes we can feel so overwhelmed with all the to-do items that are floating around in our head that it just feels like we can't just sit down and do something. So the important thing is to get them all out of your head, get them onto a piece of paper, list them in order from one to 10 and then just pick one and start doing it. If you've got some kind of externalized minds of you know you're confident that when you have something in your head that pops up, you can write it down, put it somewhere and know that it's going to end up in your calendar and either get done or you can actually equally just put into another thing and you know it'll get deleted or it's in some kind of someday maybe list. It really releases a lot of cognitive load off your mind. We've uh, previously reviewed a book like Getting Things Done, which goes into this in great detail. But this whole externalized mind means you can take this whole this load out of your brain onto paper so then you can focus on being more productive on the thing you're doing in the moment. Yeah, I've definitely felt that recently myself that if there's six things to do and it's floating around in your head and you just feel overwhelmed that you've got so much to do and you're so busy that you can't possibly actually sit down and focus on anything. But if you just simply write down those six items on a list, pick one and start doing it and then you can cross it off and then move on to the next thing rather than just constantly thinking about the six things that you have to do, just pick one and, and focus on it. And then when you're done all your work and you're signing off the day, just finish it and then be done with it. It's all done and release it from your mind. It's free. Yeah. He says that all of these daily routines and these lists that we're setting up for ourselves, they're aspirational in that they're the ideal scenario and we're probably not going to get it 100% done every single day. So, he says, don't beat yourself up if you look back on the day and think, I'd didn't get done everything I wanted to get done, realize that that day's done and move on and don't beat yourself up so that you can move on and, and keep going tomorrow. The next section he talks about, he says, forget the noun and do the verb. Mm, a lot of people want to be the noun, like you want to be an author, but you're never going to sit down and write or you want to be an actor, but you actually never go out there and do much acting. So the most important thing is the verb in, in the first place actually gets to the noun. Yeah, exactly. We like to we want to have that identity of of labeling ourselves as some kind of noun, but that's very, very irre- irrelevant in the grand scheme of things. The most important thing to doing work is to actually do the verb itself. So forget about who you're trying to be and instead just focus on the work that you actually need to be doing. Yeah, it's a bit of a paradox. If you're going to sit there and wait and be reactive for someone else to pick you to do the job title before you do the work, then you might not ever ever get there because you actually need to be able to be doing the work in the first place for them to pick you to do the job. Yeah, exactly. He says that you shouldn't let job titles uh, dictate what you do and how you do it. He says that job titles really aren't for you. They're for other people to put you in a box. So forget about that job title and just think about doing the job itself. So, your real work is is a little bit closer to play. So, he says, all children learn about the world through play and we need to learn from children. So, when children are actually playing, they are deeply invested in their work and their best play is acted out with some kind of lightness and they don't really care so much about the results. They're focused on actually what they're doing in that specific moment. Yeah. So, we need to really treat our work uh, as a form of play in that we're detaching from the outcome. So, we're not so caught up that it has to be perfect and we also need to have a bit of lightness about what we do. It's not about just winning but it's about playing for play's sake effectively. One thing he says that if you feel stuck, uh, one way to challenge yourself to take some action is to try and make the worst thing that you can possibly do. 
So if you think you should draw the ugliest drawing ever or write the shittest poem ever or write a song that doesn't even rhyme, do that as a way of getting started with no pressure. If you've got the pressure on yourself that the, the next thing that you do has to be your best work, there's going to be a lot of barriers there to actually getting started. But if you think the next thing you're going to do, you're going to try and make it the worst thing you've ever done, then it's probably easier for you to get started. Another thing he says you can try is to uh, removing the, you know, detaching yourself from the outcome is to make something with the intention of destroying it. So he says, you know, if you're a writer, write a page and then delete it. Or if you like to draw, draw a sketch and then burn it. Or if you're a photographer, uh, take a photograph that you really like and then delete it. So it's, uh, that's a way of detaching from the outcome and just thinking about the play or the practice of doing the work itself. The next way he describes on how to be creative, he says, make gifts. He says there's this new cultural phenomenon that drives him crazy and it's something us to throw a bit of fuel on the fire. Yeah. <laughs> <having> a podcast, <laughs> but he, he says uh, he's got a real issue with everyone looking at everything like it's a side hustle and um, you know, if you're doing a hobby on the side on your weekends or something, it's just a question everyone always asks or are you monetizing it? Mm. Something that we always get asked whenever mm. we're speaking about anything. It's this obsession about monetizing things that could be just a creative side hobby or a passion. Yeah, he talks about if uh, one of his friends who knits scarves and then people think the highest compliment they can give is to say, this scarf is amazing, you should try and sell it or you should mm. try and set up a, an Etsy store or if someone who is really good, they really enjoy baking cakes after work, they like to use that hobby to unwind and then we say, oh, this cake's amazing, you could open a bakery. And so we think that that's such an amazing piece of, you know, a, a good pat on the back to say that you're so good that you could sell it. But really, we need to distinguish the difference between a hobby that's just for enjoyment and to unwind and to clear our head and comparing that with, you know, the side hustle of trying to make money out of doing what you love. He says it's the quickest way to actually kill the passion and all the fun out of it is turning mm. something that is your side hobby into uh, something a little bit more akin to your day job. Mm, exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's a very easy to uh, lose that intrinsic motivation when you turn it into the extrinsic motivation of trying to make money out of it. One thing he says that I really like is um, to live below your means. So, say if you've got two different options, you can do what you love and live on a really low overhead, so not spending a lot of money and being a bit more frugal. That equals a good life. Or you can do what you love plus this belief that I deserve nice things and that's a bloody ticking time bomb, he says. <laughs> it certainly is, man. If you, um, if you turn that hobby into what you need to do to stay alive and if staying alive in your mind means uh, you know going out for dinners every night and going to the movies and partying it up and you think, oh yeah, I need to buy that nice new ring and all these things where you think you deserve nice things, eventually it's going to catch up with you. I think it's almost... Um, it is quite obvious if you live a really big life on the weekends and you're blowing lots of money, then you're kind of forced into just into what your job is to actually just choose the thing that's going to actually service that the most. Mm. If you actually live a lot more frugally and don't think that you're entitled to so much and you don't spend so much money, then you've got a bit more flexibility with what you do in your uh, in your day-to-day -day life. The other thing he says is important for you know protecting, he says protecting your valuables in that doing what you enjoy doing as your hobby rather than forcing it to be the thing that makes you a living. He says, ignore the numbers. So money is not the only measurement that can corrupt your creative practice. He says it's also the other numbers we look at in this digital world like likes, shares, retweets, favorites, comments, 
hits, downloads, views, rankings, all of these numbers that if we're using these to judge the value of our work, our work is going to be corrupted. Mm, yeah, straight away, you're optimizing for this external validation which is probably going to detract from what your actual work is in, in the first place. If you're optimizing for uh, likes, say you're a writer, you're probably going to write shorter, you're going to write more clickbaity stuff, more pop culture stuff that you think everybody's going to like rather than something that truly is important to you where you're pouring your heart into it because then you, you might be afraid that you'll get crickets at the end and you get one or two likes instead of the, the hundreds that you're used to with your clickbaity articles. So he says that you need to ignore some of these quantitative measures, these external quantitative measures and look back at the internal qualitative measures. Like ask yourself, is this really good stuff? Did you enjoy writing it? Uh, if you're doing writing, for example, is this something you want to do more of? And he says that focus on the elements of your work that can't be measured. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's it. They're the things you should be asking, and then understand if in when you do it that way, there will there will be times when you share it, and then you just get crickets. And uh, it is kind of painful, man, if you put your, <laughs> you're putting it out on Facebook or Instagram and LinkedIn and you, the endorphins don't go into the brain and it does feel bad, but it's just part of the process if you want to make good work. The other thing he says here is where there is no gift, there is no art. So, there's a big element of um, creating a gift. So, picking somebody and making something for them is a, is a good way to do important artwork as opposed to trying to do something for everybody because if you're focusing on just making that art for just that single person as a real nice gest- gesture gesture <laughs> as a real nice gesture and shout out to uh, the, that episode where people <laughs> call me out for saying gesture instead of gesture <laughs> we got plenty of those but um but if you're focusing on making the gift for just one person, just for them, there's probably a whole bunch of people out there just like them. Mm. He says that A.A. Milne made up Winnie the Pooh for just his son. J.R. Tolkien turned the stories of uh, Lord of the Rings. He told his children into The Hobbit. And Pippi Longstockings was actually for Astrid Lindgren's bedridden daughter. Yeah, so there's all these things where they've picked a specific individual person and created a, a work of art as a gift just for them. And as you said, by focusing in so intently on one person and thinking truly about what you think they want and creating something that uh, is a gift, you might be surprised that there are more and more people like them that will enjoy the gift as opposed to starting the other way, which is thinking, how can I write a, a best-selling Lord of the Rings book that everybody's going to love? The next way to stay creative through good times and through bad is building a bliss station, he says. And this station is a way you can or uh, you can disconnect from the world and really just connect with yourself. Yeah, we've spoken recently in the last couple of months about the amount of overwhelming stuff there is in the world, about being constantly connected, social media, digital news, the news cycle being ever-present. There's always these... Uh, there's always things that suck us into a world of connection, but in order to be a great you know, artist or do great work, do important work, we really need to disconnect from that. And he talks about this idea of a bliss station being either a physical place or a specific time of day where you disconnect from the world and just focus purely on your work. Yeah, it's a really big deal being able to disconnect and the biggest thing 
I'd say in this context, poison that uh, really eliminates that opportunity that you have to really disconnect is, you know, things like the news and waking up to the news all the time. Austin had a friend who said he didn't know how he could wake up to such horrible news every day. And Austin's like, maybe just don't wake mm. up to the news. Just yeah. don't, don't, don't watch the news every time you wake up. I mean, this is the thing that everyone does and I did for a long time is you wake up, you pull it out and then you just straight to your Facebook news, checking Insta, all this kind of stuff and straight away your brain's on, the, on a shocking start to the day. Yeah, he says it's super important to try and uh, have the first thing you do when you wake up not being checking your phone and the last thing you do before go to bed is to not check your phone either because I think a lot of um, people, myself included, uh, at a time where you wake up, the alarm goes off, you grab your phone and see what you've missed throughout the night and then before you go to bed, you think, okay, what, what have I missed throughout the day just to make sure that uh, I'm on top of everything, check your phone and then try to go to sleep. They're not the best way to start or end a day. And if you really think about it, practically what they're actually adding to your life, I, don't, I think in a lot of cases, all of those things are just uh, only subtracting and not adding anything. Yeah, 100%. Uh, there's a, a quote in here by Anne Lamott who wrote the book uh, Bird by Bird. So, we do know this is a, a legit quote, but she says that uh, almost all things will work again if you unplug them for a little while, including you. Mm. So, so, she says that that's uh, important that if you want to do some work, just unplug for a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Attention, if you really think about it, attention is so valuable and we don't really treat it like it's so valuable all the time. Like What your attention goes to eventually is going to be the thing that actually you bring into the world and bring into your life. So, you know, it's a really big deal if you're just letting it to just go willy-nilly to all the marketers um, doing stuff on, on social media. The next important thing we need to do in order to keep going is realize that you are allowed to change your mind. So, often it is very tough for us to change our mind because it, it means we're admitting that we were wrong but it is important to be open to changing your mind if you find some uh, contradictory information, I guess. Yeah, we normally don't want to be changing because we look, look like we're really wishy-washy and all that kind of stuff but social media, again, it offers a real problem when it comes to this because we a lot of the time we brand ourselves a mm. certain way that we can't really go back on. Um, there is a lot of people like that at the moment. I'm just going to we throw a bit of shit on Gary Vaynerchuk sometimes, yeah. <laughs> probably wrongly because he is, you know, help, helps a lot of people in the world. But for him, for example, he's always talking about hustle every day, every single moment of the day. And I imagine if, if he was to read like Cal Newport's book, which says, you know, instead of doing that, do deep work, do four, five, six hours a day of really hard, deep work and then actually switch off. It'll be very hard for someone like Gary because he's, mm. he's branded himself and his whole identity is wrapped around 24-7 hustle that he can actually move and actually upgrade his opinion into something new. So, it's really important to not brand yourself in a certain way because there's only upside, if you really think about it, to changing your mind because if you change your mind and then you adopt this new perspective, it turns out to be wrong, you can t- go backwards or you have the choice to actually take on this new perspective and keep moving forward. Another good example is our... Uh is our good friend Peter Schiff who enjoyed <laughs> listening to his podcast uh, in that you say that, you know, changing your mind can seem like you're admitting weakness or admitting defeat. Peter Schiff, if he's continually saying that the market's going to crash, buy gold, gold's going to go up, it's going to be very hard for him to say, actually, the economy's going all right at the moment. Maybe don't panic sell at the moment. Mm, yeah, it's going to be impossible for him <laughs> to go down that route now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so change, to change your mind is to do some real thinking 
and the internet is no longer a safe place to actually try out your experimental thinking in that case. Try it with someone you know, a little bit offline um, and not on the air. Yeah, I think it is important to uh, not be so strong in your opinions that you're completely closed off to changing your mind. The next important thing he talks about is say, when you're in doubt, tidy up. So, uh, Maria Kondo's got the... Uh, She's taken off in 2019 with the big Netflix series and Gretchen Rubin, who we spoke to about her new book, Outer Order, Inner Calm, talking about the importance of cleaning up or tidying up or having firstly a place that is uh, allows you to do your work rather than being such so cluttered and so messy. But also he says that the act of tidying itself is a procrast- productive procrastination that allows you to actually explore some of your past work again. Yeah, absolutely. It's some of the top advice from your favorite author, Jordan Peterson. <laughs> and it really, <laughs> really, really, in having actually the clean room and less clutter, it does have a physical effect on your brain and actually how you work. I, I personally even sleep better when I know the whole house is is tidy. Mm. Yeah, it is an important one. So that's the, the element of um, the, the comfort of knowing that things are clean and that You've taken that one small act to start your day off well to have a have a clean room. And the second thing is to like look through your past work. So if you've got a, a pile of old work that's stacked up and you've got 20 sheets of paper there and you if you sift through that and think which of this is worth keeping, which of this is worth throwing out, there might be some dormant idea that's sitting on one of those pages that you haven't thought about for a while and it might spark some creativity or it might spark another idea that you can go off and, and start doing some more work on. Yeah, love it. Now, the last one we're going to cover is about planting your garden. And he uses the metaphor of seasons for creativity, which I think is really good. So, for example, if you sit there and observe the maple tree across seasons, it really represents what the artist's journey is. It produced beauty in the spring only because of the harsh winter it actually went through. And sometimes the harsher the winter it actually goes through, it actually produces more glorious springs. And then a bit more time passes in October, it might be full leaf, but then it loses all of its leaf, leaves for the rest of the fall. And in winter, it's actually covered by snow and it needs to go through the whole cycle of the seasons all over again. And quite interestingly, if you look at it moment by moment, the tree, nothing else is actually happening. But if you take a step back over time, there's a lot more happening than actually meets the eye. Mm, I think that definitely does uh, translate very closely to the the artist's journey uh, and the I guess the sometimes the the troughs the the peaks and the troughs that we go through when we are doing projects on the side or we are trying to do something creative or we are trying to create gifts or make art that uh, sometimes in the middle of winter it feels like we might want to stop but the that spring is uh, will be so much better because we've suffered through the the harsh winter. Mm, yeah, we need to know what season we're actually in. And if we know, if we understand that the spring's coming when you're in the winter, it can be mm-hmm. all that little bit easier. And you know that winter is actually just part of the journey. It's the ticket you've signed up to to actually get to this, the spring and the summer. Another the thing that Austin says here, he really doesn't care about the 30 under 30 lists. He'd rather read the 8 over 80 lists in that he doesn't care about how some you know 30-year-old kid became rich and famous because they had a bit of money from their dad and started a, a company. He'd rather hear about the 80-year-old the that nobody's ever heard about. She spent her life in obscurity, but she kept chipping away and kept creating art and she lived a really happy life. And obviously for that 8 over 80, they, uh, they kept going and that they weren't affected by successes or by failures. 
They kept waking up every day being Groundhog Day and they just got to work and kept going. Some people, just the way it works out, you actually blossom at old age. Some people blossom at the early age. So, there is the opportunity that your maple tree is going to go run absolutely wild in your later years rather than the early years. So, the important thing is to actually make sure you plant the seeds and let them grow into something really long-lasting. And this is what this book is is going about, is keeping on going. And every single day is a potential seed that can grow into something really beautiful. Whatever season you're in, keep doing your verbs, whatever they may be, and ultimately, you've got to keep going. 